The last Metroid is in captivity. The galaxy is at peace. Welcome to the 57th episode of Everyday Eternal. With me tonight, we got my co-host Bob Wang. Hello, hello. And after a long departure where he was churning the world, seeking truth and experience, we have Mr. Doc Matt Pavlik back on the cast. Hey Matt, how's it going? Good, how about yourself? Oh, great, great. I just returned from London where we had like this big Kenya event and afterwards we went out partying and having a good time with the team. And I also just played a local legacy tournament today. But uh, first of all, Matt, where have you been? Actually, a lot of people actually ask me whether you still existed in the Magic Universe. Um, I do exist, but maybe not as much in the Magic Universe. Uh, I was away on a military deployment to I Can't Tell You. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Is that you can't tell me on the podcast or you can't tell me at all? I can't tell you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so so maybe check out our Patreon page for some secret info on where Matt is a secret agent. <laughs> oh yeah, Matt, we, we actually we should we should really like abuse your standing in the Canadian military and post like all kinds of secrets. And then like like people from Russia and all over the world will su start supporting us on Patreon because they're <laughs> <some> inside information. <laughs> Sounds good if we can generate some income, let's do it. But does Canada, <laughs> does Canada even, like, fight wars, though? Aren't they, like, pretty neutral? Well, we just take care of your soldiers, that's all. Fair enough. <laughs> you, you know, Matt, you should have said, well, officially, we're not fighting any kind of war. But, Matt, have you actually seen real combat, Matt? No. Will you ever? Maybe. <laughs> I bet you already have. Cold War number two, <laughs> cold, cold war number two is underway, you. so, you know, you never know. <laughs> uh, first of all... That's something a lot of people have asked me about because I teased it for a previous podcast. You are taking a fucking helicopter to play in your local legacy. Is that true? I can neither confirm nor deny rumors. Well, you already confirmed it, like, publicly. I may have taken a helicopter, maybe. <laughs> Dude, how, how does that even work? Well, Do you, like, book it in advance, or...? You have to know the right people. You just call somebody <laughs> up and you say, hey, can I get a ride? And sometimes it's yes and sometimes it's no. Yeah, Julian, it, life is all about networking. Uh, I, I guess so. So if I want to ever take a helicopter, I should come to... You live on, on an island now, we should probably add. Yes, I do so live on an island now. So the only way in or out is either by boat or air travel. So Wh Which island? Vancouver Island. Vancouver. Wait, hold on. What? Is Vancouver <laughs> an island? No, <laughs> like Vancouver's on the mainland, but then there's an island off the coast of Vancouver called Vancouver Island. Interesting. And it actually has the capital of your province, right? It does. Vict Victoria? Victoria. Oh, I'm so good. Well, you, you told me this like maybe 10 times before. <laughs> it's okay, but you're <laughs> the just pretending really there's, there's no There's no legacy scene in Victoria yet. Is um, it? Is not there? too much. I am revitalizing the scene. And, oh, and you're so preaching you the uh, glories of Nick Fit and telling everybody it's the best deck. Yeah, I'm getting everybody to play Delver so then I can beat up on them and say, look at how good this deck is. So I thought if, if I ever came to, to, to your place, like you've been talking about that, then we play in the local Victoria Legacy and everybody's like, hey, check out this Siege Shrine. Or hey, I got my six mana planeswalker over here. And they're like, that they worship Matt as the prophet who brought them Legacy. And then the first guy with, with Delver shows up and wrecks them. They're like, oh my God, why are we not doing this? Yeah, that, could that, 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 could, that could definitely happen. 
So let's. <laughs> it's a small community, so we're keeping it on the down low, you know. Oh. And at Bob, what have you been up to? Like you told me, you haven't played a lot ever since the GP, but you yes. recently started playing again. So since the GP, where I did really well, went full through with slow deaths, I've played two leagues of Bomberman for Channel Fireball, and then I uh, also joined the today's challenge with Grixis Delver uh, with Dreadhorde Arcanist. So I, I've not played much Legacy at all. I've actually been spending a lot of my time. Um, I'm studying for the CFA, which is kind of a finance certification. So I'm spending a lot of time doing that. And then my time that I do have playing Magic, I've been playing Standard and Modern to practice for the SCG Invitational. Gross. I, have not, I have not played Standard since, um, I don't know, maybe like 2015 or so. But uh -huh. the format's actually pretty interesting now. Um, so I've branched out a little bit. Is that just out of interest, or are you attending you know, a GP or something? After the Envy, like, so I'm preparing for the Envy. After the Envy, I may or may not continue playing Standard. I have not decided yet. Okay, okay. Um, so, we've got a lot of things to cover today. Uh, why don't we start off with something you've probably heard on a lot of other casts, because it right about dropped <laughs> the the day we released our previous cast and that is the changes to the MPL, the Magic Pro League. Um, as probably most of you have heard, uh, Yuya Watanabe, one of the most accomplished players ever, I think he has like, has he like 16 GP top 8s and like about 4 or close to, well, he would have had I think his 5th Pro Tour top 8, something like that. He was disqualified right as he was about to enter the top 8 of the Pro Tour for marked cards. And as the investigation later revealed, they concluded that they were intentionally marked with a pattern um, of his Tron lands. They suspended him for two and a half years, which in Magic context for a first-time offender is like super long. It probably might be the longest non-violent offense that, that has ever been punished that way. Um, and Cherry Thompson has left the MPL in protest out of a lot of stuff, you can find the reasons why he has left the MPL in our show notes. We're not going to go too deep into that. It has to do with like transparency and that he feels they're not really going anywhere with it. And those two have been replaced by Jessica Estefan and Zavich. So as with regards to Jessica, she has made herself known. She, I think was she the first woman to, to win a GP? Yep. I think, um, what's her name? The, the first girl to, to win to top eight a pro tour was Melissa. The Tora, yep. um, Del Toro, but Jessica was the first woman to actually win a GP, so she she's not an unknown capacity. But with just regards to like accomplishments, she's not up there like with the other people in the MPL. And we have Savic, who actually has played Magic for a very long time, he says, but never really played like in pa paper tournaments. He's made himself known as a uh, I think Hearthstone Pro. I actually remember him playing Warcraft 3 in the past as well. He's on Team Liquid. So they, he's a pretty well-known capacity in the esports world. And both of them actually played in the most recent Mythic Invitational, where I think they reached top 16, I think. Savic actually got even deeper. Yeah, Savic got I top 4. Jess was the best finishing female player at probably top 16, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. And what is interesting about that is um, because... Previously, I think that the general image that people got from the MPL was that it was like purely based on results and like what you actually accomplished in absolute numbers. And so people were surprised that those two were added because even though Savic, I think he also finished first in the in the Mythic rankings on, on Arena in a season, but there were probably just merit-based a lot of other people that would have been in line to, to enter the MPI, which is like a really big thing. You get like 75k plus qualification for a lot of stuff and promotion results. You, you might even argue that's like almost worth like a six-figure amount. 
And what is interesting is Wizards pointed out that the, these choices were not necessarily based on merit, but also on diversity and, well, they didn't really mention it, but also I, I would guess like marketing reach, especially with regards to Savic, who weirdly enough even mentioned that even though he's in the MPL, he won't actually play pay-by-events for whatever reason, but I think that that actually looks reflects really well, badly yeah, well, on Well, he's somebody. saying that like it didn't make sense for him to go to the PT, like the latest PT, I want to say, because he would make more money streaming. So uh, that's a, it's like, obviously it's his prerogative. He can do whatever he wants. Um, but I agree with you, Julian. It's a really bad look if like, these are your ambassadors of the game and one of them is choosing not to <laughs> attend <laughs> like, pretty funny. Th the highest event. Like it makes sense for him, um, but it's just like people, like literally people, I have, I have friends who like break down in tears when they, qualify for their first first mythic championship or pro tour and like this guy's like yeah i don't want to go so it's a pretty like disheartening look and i think like everybody agrees that like these changes are are for the better uh or, or sorry they don't they don't agree on that necessarily but th they they could be fine the problem is that like wizards didn't communicate this ahead of time so everything wizards has done has been really haphazard and like saffron olive wrote a really good article on mtg goldfish that basically um, it seems like Wizards like had planned this for 2020, but then Arena was just exploding, so they accelerated everything to 2019, and they they haven't really figured anything out yet. So hopefully, going forward, we get better communication from them as to like what the MPL really is about. Um, in my opinion, it, it should be like a mostly merit-based like pro league, just like any esports pro league. And I, you might know better than me, Julian. Are there like diversity spots for women, for example, in other prominent esports leagues, or not? Like, I follow a lot of esports, but the only thing I remember is that they actually have female divisions. So, but I think Magic is not nearly big enough for that, yeah. I would say. So, I think most people, um, I would say, have little problem with Jess joining the league. Um, I would say her, her results are not quite up to par, but I think it, it, this is one of those things where, like, uh, once you have a couple women doing well and you get them in there, those places, more women will start to compete and start to play. So um, I'm, I'm definitely for her joining the um, the MPL. For Savic, it's it's a sort of a different story. He's actually an amazing player. Like a lot of um, I've heard from MPL players who have watched him play are like, well, okay, yeah, this guy is insane. He's like um, very very good already at Magic, and he has not played as much as I have, and like his ceiling's way higher than mine. So I've heard different MPL players like come out with that sentiment. So he is like there in terms of skill, not quite there in terms of accomplishments, and um, Wizards obviously added him to kind of bring more popularity to their um, views. So I don't know. It's just like an interesting thing to, to think about. I don't want to go too much more into it because a lot of other podcasts have talked about it already. But I, what I do want to segue into is kind of talking about the Mythic Invitational view count, um, where essentially Wizards of the Coast said that there were close to 100,000 people watching. Um, and there was an article that came out on Kotaku that said that basically Wizards promised sponsors that it would get those viewers. And when they didn't get those viewers, like early on in, in the Envy viewership is maybe like 20,000, which is like pretty reasonable for like a Pro Tour or whatever. Um, then they started using the curse embedments. So like sometimes you go to like a random 
wiki page for like a game, then you'll have like a random Twitch playing in the background. Like they started counting those, and that really inflated the numbers up to closer to a hundred thousand. Um, and so that that was the theory of the article. Wizards has not like made a statement on whether or not they did or didn't do that, but it seems pretty obvious to me that they did. So it could be that they're kind of hurting for viewers. Um, and want to please their sponsors, therefore that's why they kind of added Savich because he's a very popular gamer and popular streamer. So is there an industry standard for what is considered a viewership, like one viewership? No, that's the problem. So like the article went into that, where like for example for sports games, Nielsen uh, does the ratings, and Nielsen is kind of like an independent third party, whereas for Twitch viewers, literally Twitch says what it is. And I guess you can use different settings to count curse viewers versus not, which that part is weird to me. I think it should just be standard, like you count them or you don't. Um, and um, so like because Twitch wants to inflate the view counts and Wizards wants to inflate the view counts, it's kind of just like because it's not independent third party, it's kind of like it could always be a shady thing. Yeah, that, that's an interesting quote by uh, in the Kotaku article, which, by the way, not only touches on magic, but it's one of the longest and most in-depth articles I read about esports and the future of esports in general. You should definitely check that out if you're interested in that. We are linking that in the show notes. And there's a quote from the article. An individual with knowledge of Red Bull's operations told Kotaku that it was something they did in 2016. We're all competing for the small... for the same small group of sponsors. How do you show the competitive advantage? By showing your inflated numbers are bigger than their inflated view numbers. Which is <laughs> like pretty much what it, what it feels like, right? Because Wizards feels like, oh my God, these these big esports, they're getting so high numbers, so we gotta be up there. And then they they clear pretty clearly, I think it was pointed out in the article, even though Wizards like didn't want to comment on that, basically quadrupled their viewership the the in a very short amount of time without like even a larger number of people being uh, locked into twitch so basically that's one way that you can also like track shady numbers when for example not a lot of more people are actually like engaging your in your chat or doing anything but you still like get a lot of higher viewership like data that's a very clear indicator that that something's going wrong so another quote from the article is one former twitch employee with knowledge of curse Curses operations told the chat told us I can tell you with 100% certainty that a ton of that is just chunk views <laughs> which really feels like what happens and it's it's kind of sad because like like we mentioned Wizards has to compete against these other uh, esports and esports in general. Like right now, the the vibe in the com in the greater esports community is like, oh, are we actually really just like building a bubble? The the article also goes into that that there's like leaked Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley reports how they estimate esports like the top esports titles, not even combined, but the single top esports titles by 2022 will be like on par with the NFL with regards to viewership numbers. Yeah, that sounds absolutely ridiculous to me. Like, obviously, esports is, like, global, but, come on, NFL is, like, the highest revenue-generating league in the world. Like, I... Yeah, like, here's the other here. thing the article pointed out, is, like, people who watch esports, they're, they're, like, gamers. They're used to, like... Our generation is used to getting a lot of things for free online. Like, Twitch is completely free, whereas, like, NFL, people make tons of money through, like, ticket sales and like through merchandising and like i just don't see that for esports yet um you know we're just like cheap gamers basically whereas like professional sports is far more established so even if we get close to the viewers like there's not going to be close to the revenue whereas like 
I don't know, the sponsors are paying the revenues for those like views and, and um, giving those ad dollars. So that's basically how esports is surviving now. The next step will be see if like people will actually vote with their wallets and like pay up for, you know, quality esports content. They talked about, uh, they mentioned it in the article as well, that uh, a lot of industry insiders, and I mean, Kotaku is not like your random website. They they are quite respectable in that regard. And they have inside knowledge from esports organizations and people in charge. And they estimate that like up to 90% of esports organizations are currently still running at a loss. And that's especially because of the high wages that, that players receive. So I think they mentioned in the Overwatch League, for example, the average salary is over three hundred thousand dollars a year. That's like the average salary, and a lot of the top players they are making like seven figure amounts of money. What? And I think that's one of the things. <laughs> yeah, Matt, you, you became a doctor. You did it wrong, man. <laughs> Jesus, should have kept playing Counter Strike forever, and then. You know what? I'm thinking about that so much. I was like, I was like pretty decent, like top top. I want to tell myself top ten, but it was more like our team was like top twenty in Germany at the time. But that's like seventeen years ago. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah, was playing. I, in Cal League and CPL or whatever leagues back in when would that have been like two thousand and yes five two thousand five yeah yeah that that's yeah shortly before they they folded pretty much and it's like man what am I what am I doing here yeah and and I think like all this pressure like we we don't really know whether it's really building a bubble or not but there's certainly a lot of pressure to like compete with these numbers when you really want to establish especially arenas like in esports so i could definitely see wizards doing that and it's also like it's not only wizards like they they the article goes into other esports how like everybody's using these shady numbers and it's even like with regards to tournament organizers and i'm not gonna name any names because there's no point in that but I, like a tournament organizer tells me ahead of time, oh, Julian, hey, we're gonna have like 600 people at this event. I'm like, oh my God, how, what the fuck? And then they tell me, yeah, actually we are gonna have like 150 for Legacy and like 200 for Modern and then like 50 for Standard. Like, yeah, half of those are the same people. And they're like, yeah, but we're counting each of those individually like several times. And it, <laughs> it feels so fake. I, I hate it so much. And they're like, no. And then they look back and they get like 2,000 people for this tournament weekend. I'm like, that this hall couldn't even fit 2,000 people. What the fuck? And It's not 2,000 unique persons it's it's lots that they're occupying but yeah like to to sum this up pretty much i think if esports wants to be taken seriously and really get to like a new level they really need some indie uh, um, independent entities to to basically provide legit stats because there apparently there's something called sue sue something that's mentioned the article but most of people involved with like esports and and viewership tracking they say yeah those numbers are pretty much like crap <laughs> you can, you they sell them but that since they are the only really organization that tracks them like in a somewhat independent way people still go with it but most people think they are also like inflated and and crap so i wonder if this will eventually come back to bite esports i've seen like I've, i listen to a lot of esports podcasts and i think one of them mentioned that for example cloud nine has recently been evaluated at like 192 million and people are actually looking like to to sell out and, and like they're like okay i built this team and now we're, we're <laughs> i'm gonna have a nice time on my island in the caribbean or something yeah and if that hap starts happening like big time then maybe a bubble will burst and uh, i mean maybe it's also gonna affect magic i don't know yeah, yeah. let's so leave that as is. Um, I know there were a couple other kind of Magic Online changes we wanted to talk about. Um, one of them is, um, there, so that basically, um, I think this th this was a thing that was like, kind of was just solved itself, but Kendra, aka the Maverick Girl, 
pointed out that um, basically popular leagues were so unpopular that they were becoming match-fixed. Um, and she basically, you can go find her on Twitter and read her thread, but basically she made really convincing arguments about how people were just like queuing into themselves and then just having one of their um, accounts going 5-0 and the other one going 0-5 and then they made money this way. Um, and it was like extremely uh, obvious that this was happening. So what they actually did with, um, I don't, it wasn't really in response to this because it really happened the next day, but they combined the Magic Online friendly and competitive leagues, so there's only one league for every format now. I just think this is a good change because a lot of the, um, well, this stops the match fixing, first of all, because it's going to be a lot harder to queue into yourself when there's more people playing, and then it also, just like a lot of the popper and like vintage um, well, I guess not vintage because they only had one, but it combines all the leagues so there's a bigger pl player base and then it flattens the prize structure. Overall, it, it makes the leagues also uh, two tickets cheaper as well. So kind of a lot of people have crunched the numbers and if your win rate was like um, high, like m maybe like 55% or higher, then um, you made more money playing the old structure versus the new structure. But for for the most part, I'm okay with it because... Um, you know, I don't really rely on Magic Online as a source of income. I know some people do. So those people who c actually care about EV the most, like, they're hurt the most. But for most people whose win rate is, you know, around 50%, this is actually a positive change. And I don't think the total payout um, per prize is, like, significantly different. So I think overall it's a pretty good change. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to go back to the thing about the max, match fixing because when I teased it, a lot of people actually talked to me about that and I wanted to know how it works. So like Bob mentioned, because the leaks are so small, you, you have a much higher chance of queuing into yourself because you have sometimes like wait times of five to ten minutes. And that way you can, if you open like Magic Online like on a second computer or you just play against a friend, you can very clearly often make sure that you're playing against yourself. And because of the way the old system worked, if you if you did that and you got one account going 5-0 and the other one 0-5, that gave you, depending on how much the treasure chests are worth, about plus 26 ticks, plus 60 player points. And those 26, 23 26 ticks are about $23. So you, you do that, it might take you... In a perfect world, it can take you only like a quarter of an hour or something, and you're up $23 and 60 play points. And that's that's something that Kendra pointed out was probably going on because she compared the number of 5-0s that people got in the constructed, uh, in the competitive pauper league, which had by far the fewest players of any of any constructed league on Magic Online. And after the same amount of time, they got like way, 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 way more 5-0s than any of the other league. Even if they had uh, high population leagues like Modern Legacy, um, I don't know whether she took the standard, they had like fewer number of 5-0s, of which you would expect not to be the case. But that was like a very clear indicator. And even Wizards uh, mentioned in a tweet that they're already looking into it. And ha have I think we haven't really run the numbers, whether it's still something that's possible in the new league. I guess, like you mentioned, the combination of the, the friendly league and the competitive league will make it harder, but it might still be a thing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think it's it. going to be hard because, like, the thing with Popper is, like, you would literally wait for 10 minutes and then, like, it would just auto-pair you against someone who, like, you've played against already. Um... But, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. The other thing is the new league is not implemented until, like, June or something. Um, so I guess they can keep doing this. But I think the cat's out of the bag and Wizards is looking into it. I suspect we'll see some accounts getting banned. Um, but I'm not really sure because I don't really hear too much about 
uh, Wizards actually banning people. Um, I actually only know one instance of, of someone getting banned from Magic Online, but... Um, was that actually, recently? No, no. But uh, that was Zach Jesse. But, like, I'm sure, like, people probably get banned for, like, stealing accounts and hacking, I assume. But by then, they've probably already taken the money. So um, I assume that's a thing that happens. Like, because I know a bunch of people have had their collection stolen, and I assume Wizards bans those thieves' accounts at least. But I, I have Yeah, no one idea. of our recent guests, Jay Sanson Stryfer, also recently had his account hacked. And I don't know if he actually got it back. So he didn't get sad. his cards back. Um, but Wizards actually reimbursed him for the tickets, which is the first that I've ever heard of. Most wow. of the other time, I think it's like Card Hoarder has insurance, so then they reimburse the pre person who sold to them. But um, this time, I think Wizards actually gave him the money. So it's the very first time I've actually heard of Wizards stepping up and, and helping, um, which is a good thing. Um, on one hand, it's kind of like, it's like basically what Wizards is effectively doing is creating money out of thin air, and then like... <laughs> yeah, exactly uh, right. Basically the hacker ends up with extra money so it is still a little bit sketchy that they're they're helping but overall Basically, still we're all pooling together everybody who's having tickets and matching online just pay for that <laughs> yeah well the whole messed up thing about magic online is like none of the cards online are are property like you don't own anything everything is just property of wizards and like they also just don't acknowledge that like things have a real world value even though they sell tickets for a dollar and um, I don't know. Basically, like the issue is like they never want to get into a situation where it looks like they're printing money, because um, that gets them into tons of legal trouble. So they need to manage everything around that. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess something that would happen. Didn't they actually mention that two-factor authentication might eventually be on the way? I have not seen any mention of that. Um, but I, I mean, I maybe hope I had a dream about a that. <laughs> but that would be that would be something that would help quite a lot quite a lot but we can dream I, I think they even like on the most recent magic pro league podcast was no not podcast uh, video cast they they even gave out promos for magic online because in the past everything you would get is for arena so that was actually something that was nice to see for a change that they still had like haven't completely forgotten about magic online and also want to i mean in the end it's just a gesture but it's something that i want to mention because i do appreciate that them doing stuff for us because People are somewhat scared, like, where is it going with regards to Arena? So, Matt, have you gotten into Magic Online? I have not yet. So, so, my idea was that because the legacy scene here in Victoria was quite small, is that I would do a little bit of Magic Online. But because I've been kind of here and away and then here and away, I haven't actually bought in yet. Well, I have a lot of tickets to sell, if you want to. Like, oh. White Bomberman, dude, that deck has made me so much money. <laughs> And it's so yeah, crazy. I, I tried it in a CFB video too. It seems extremely powerful. Like literally, the deck is just complete mana, and then like sixteen bombs that like all win the game by themselves. So like, um, that's just good deck building. The problem with Bomberman is it's more vulnerable to hate than the other um, Karn decks. Like it's just really really bad against Karn and Nullrod um, because you play stuff like Ancient Den and like Bobbles and things. So it's weaker to hate, but it's much more powerful. Um, so. I don't know. I, I think like I think it's a very good deck, and I expect it to see like some tournament success before the format fully adjusts. Yeah, I already noticed that people. We're actually seeing quite a lot of main deck upgrades and even like two or three uh, side sidebar nirods. And to me, that's been annoying because previously we didn't see those, and I really got to like cruise the leagues. I think I got like three, five hours out of four leagues I played with it. You but played with Nullrod against me in the Channel Fireball video. <laughs> Oh, that was with elves, right? Yep, yep. And that yeah, we got into like a weird spot where like 
I could play Lattice, but then neither of us could win the game. <gasps> and like you were in a weird spot where you didn't even want to cast your uh, draw. Oh for my my seven messenger. Your yeah, seven yeah. messenger, yeah. Because you would, because then I would play Lattice, and then we would just sit there, and then you would deck first. <laughs> it was it was so funny. Uh, definitely check that out. Um, Bob, how often are you actually releasing videos on Channel Fireball? Like once a month or something? So. Basically, it's very nice. I get to make content at my leisure, and what I usually do is I, I either write or make a video uh, once a month. So in cool. May, I made a Bomberman video, so go ahead and check that out if you're interested in the deck. I think it's very good. Um, I, I don't know if I think it's like you know the best thing since Cruise Delaware or whatever, but it's definitely uh, very powerful before the format adjusts to it. Yeah, that's what, what Max was selling the deck at, right? That, that, that's the big thing. Like, it's the, the most broken thing since Cruise and Diver. And I'm also not sure whether that's that's true. And I mean, I have I have played a part in hyping it up that way. But <laughs> but I, I think the deck is, like you mentioned, like really, really good. But I'm also a little scared that eventually it will either have to adjust. Because one of the things I want to change was to, to bring in more disenchants. And I think Max actually, actually did that in his most recent list. Because I also noticed that Nilrod is such a pain in the ass. You can always mentor your way out of it, but once they clear the board, then it's usually just over. But yeah. yeah. It's, it's another way to, like, um, if you can hold up the mana while they play the Lattice, you can, like, kill the Karn um, and then play your own Karn or something. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty good in Karn mirrors, too. Um, so overall, how, how do you feel about the format right now? You, I know you haven't played a lot recently, but, for example, one of the cards... That when we actually talked about that spoiler with Eric, like I was super high on Dreadhought Arcanist. Like I, I think I remember it as me calling it the the second most impressive card of the entire set. But then I actually like I I re retracted that statement after you guys mentioned a lot more allegedly even more broken cards. But I'm super happy to see that like Dreadhought Arcanist is actually really making itself known in the re legacy format right now because I, the deck card is just absurd. And for those who don't know what it does, it's a creature zombie wizard. A colorless and a red, 1-3 trample, and when it attacks, then you can cast any instant or sorcery card from your graveyard with converted mana cost equal or less? Is it equal or less? Equal. Uh, no, it's it has to be less mana cost than. less or than equal or equal. To. Okay. No, no, yeah. the phrase is less than or equal to, yeah, Dreadhought Arcanist's power for free. And that's a big thing, like, it's a snapcaster that pays for the, uh, for the, for the spell. The thing is, you can usually, unless you use stuff like Rancor, Try and Grow, only like flashback one mana spells. But the half the time, Stamcaster would do that anyway, right? Yeah, brainstorms, thought seizes. You can reuse your removal spells, which makes it even easier for the director or Arcanist to attack. So that card is like the real deal. And I see, like, for example, Arcan, who also probably loves that the card is called Arcanist, uh, plays it a lot on the stream. And I think, Matt, um, Bob, you also played it earlier today, right? Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I did. I was uh, basically I'm two two in the challenge, um, and uh, I'm actually having a, a friend play for me right now while I do the podcast. But uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist is the real duel. I know people were playing Dark Confidant in Grixis Celebrate Four, which I hated, um, but I think Arcanist is just a fixed Dark Confidant. I immediately started with four in, in my deck, and it's been in the games I won, it was really good. In the games that I lost, it kind of I lost to Moonstompy and Black Red, so it kind of just didn't really matter what two drop I was playing. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think the card is really powerful, and I think it's gonna definitely be the next thing in Delver. Like I think Delver. Here's my big issue with Grixis Delver is I thought it was behind against the blue red decks, or sorry, the blue white decks. And if that's no longer true, like with Arcanist, you just have like four must answer creatures that just generate so much advantage if you let it survive. Um, it's also insane against combo because you play it with Thoughtseize, and then you just 
thought sees them twice, and the game's usually just over. So I think um, I think it's going to be the next iteration of Delver is Grixis Delver with with Arcanist, and that's going to be much better against the blue white decks than the. You know what I hate about the card? It's one of those cards that's like really on the fine line where it interacts with the graveyard, but just not enough for you to bring in dedicated graveyard hate. And I hate when stuff like that happens. Tell me about it's it. It's like, ah, you, you're really making me want to bring in, like, Surgical or something, but it's so bad. And, ah. Surgical's horrible against it. Like, you could br bring in, like, Leyline of the Void, and it would hit, like, um, Arcanist and Gurmag Angler, but that's still, like, six cards, and they'll just kill you with Delver, Pyromancer, True Name, and then you look silly, too. So, um, I <laughs> love that, like, I can't just be beaten by hate cards. That's the whole reason to play a deck like Delver, is the hate cards just don't really exist. Except for Meekstone. But now you guys have a Braid. My, my life has become so much worse ever since a Braid was released. And I, I kind of like the card, but it's so good against all of the stuff I like doing. Yeah, the other card I'm playing, there, there's a, a couple cards you could play, but Angrath Rampage, I think is, I'm not sure how good it is. Uh, against Moonstomp, it was really bad because you oh, wanted to kill Chalice, which, which but one, then which they one? have Mox. Uh, Angrath Rampage is it actually it's an uncommon that costs black red for a sorcery two mana, and target player sacrifices an artifact, planeswalker, or uh, oh, is it the one where you? Oh, okay, okay, I see, I see. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not too high on it. Yeah, I'm not too high on it. Yeah, no, I. So I, I was down on the card when we previewed it, but given how many Planeswalkers are seeing play, it's almost never dead. It's dead against combo, but not even because it has you have the Edict text. So I think it's the reason to play it is because it's like a B in like every matchup. In a couple matchups, it's like an A. Um, but it's almost never a dead card, so that's why I like it. Like previously, you had to like play all these cards that were like, oh, these is, these are my Chalice slots. Oh, these are my Edict slots. Um, and, and, oh, this card is bad against Miracle, so I need to take it out. Well, this card is actually live against everything, so um, it, it lets you play... If you play more of this card, you can potentially cut on your other yeah. cards and it's, open it's up more It's the never-ending battle of, like, power versus flexibility and trying to find the sweet spot in that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if this card were an instant, this would be just, like, an A. Uh, because it's sorcery, it doesn't quite work against Merit Lodge some of the time. And... Black and red is like it only fits in like one deck basically. Um, well, I guess it could, you could play in like Grixis Control maybe, but yeah. yeah. So we got a couple um, spoilers from the most uh, what's it called? Man, I'm so bad with the set names these days. Oh, see, Modern by the way, Matt mentioned that he was gonna use his epic reader name, and we're gonna utilize Matt's epic voice to read out a couple of those new cards that are coming up. So Matt, why wouldn't you introduce us to the next card on our list? Ranger Captain of Eos. 1, white, white. 3, 3. When Ranger Captain of Eos enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost 1 or less. Reveal it and put it into your hand. Then shuffle your library. Sacrifice Ranger Captain of Eos. Your opponents can't cast oh non-creature spells this you, you should read audiobooks. Oh or maybe you already are. <laughs> I should, and yeah. what you didn't mention, it has a dude riding a knife. Who knows? Knife. What you didn't mention, it has a dude riding a knife. And I hawk? think there's a... He's yeah, got a yeah. hawk on his shoulder. How do you feel about the well? card? It's like a string of... <laughs> Definitely. That's why it's on our list, right? <laughs> um, so it, it's a... <laughs> well, it's like the uh, it's like the other Rager of Eos, right? It's like... I can't remember how much... That, is yeah, that exactly. guy it's three in a white in you search? Yeah, exactly. yeah, so this seems obviously a little bit better. And he has the little hate of like... Can't cross non-creature spell this turn. So I guess if you're doing something... 
you want to do something crazy? Or do you want to stop them from comboing off? You're just yeah, the like, one thing that surprises, surprises me about the card is that it's not legendary. Because that's the thing Wizards of the Coast has done a lot recently with like hate bears. <laughs> oh shit, <laughs> usually just you're totally like, right. I didn't even yeah, notice they're that. Like, I just yeah, assumed he was. This Texas card, we're just gonna make it legendary. But this one would actually be like probably like decent with with Caracas if you can reuse it a couple of times. Uh, not so much since there's only really only Mother of Runes to get. But I was gonna say, I feel like this guy is like play this guy or violin this guy, go get Mother of Runes, and then like you wanted to combo next yeah. turn. Enjoy. The thing is, you, ca you can't get like, it with Recruiter. Yeah, I think it's just like a little bit too slow. Yeah. You can't get it with Recruiter, so, like, I don't think this card's going to see play. Like, there's so many good three-mana spells that I don't really think this put moves the needle. People are obviously going to try it. Like, people are trying Tomic, but, like, um, Tomic is, like, at least has some, like, applications, whereas this one is just kind of, like, a value card, but the one drop is too useless by the time you play it. Like, maybe in a deck, like, Humans, where you can get Champion of the Parish, but, like, again, all the all the cards are only good on turn one, so I'm, I'm skeptical. Maybe it's going to be playing card. like, Soldier's Dumpy list or something, where you have, like, Chromox and something. Yeah, yeah but yeah, then the white-white mana cost thing, is like, bad, I was too, so... Mox, but then you need still something else to make it work. It, it It's overall a little awkward, and usually, like, Stumpy decks, they don't really want to look for one-drops anyway. Maybe there's some weird combo, I don't know. Yeah, why don't... Uh-huh. There, there are just so many cards in Modern Horizons, just like War of the Spark. So far, I think War of the Spark is, is looking stronger than Modern Horizons, but Modern Horizons, we've only seen, like, a week of spoilers, so I guess you can't really compare the two. But so far, War of the Spark looks stronger. We'll see if that's still the same once the full set is spoiled. But because there are so many good cards, I don't want to... Like, I want to focus on the ones that we think are going to be the most impactful. So why don't we just, like, each start going in order in order and taking turns on, like, picking mm -hmm. cards we think are going to be good. But um, I'm reading them. But I'm reading but them. But you are reading them, sure. All right, I'm going to pick my, my next card that I would like to discuss, which is Ren and Six. Ren and Six. Okay. Ren and Six. Planeswalker. Mana cost. Red. Green. Three loyalty to start. Plus one. Return up to one target land card from your graveyard to your hand. Minus one. Renin six deals one damage to any target. Minus seven. You get an emblem with, quote, instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard have And retrace. for those who don't remember what retrace does, because I actually <laughs> did look it up because I wasn't sure, you can discard a land from your hand and pay the spell's mana cost to create a copy of it. So it's like Raven's Crime and all the kind of stuff that we have seen in the past. Yep. Um, I'm glad you added the end quote there, Matt, because I would have been very upset if you had opened Matt is in the military now, you know, he's supposed to be um, precise. Otherwise, people die. It's very important. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's, uh, that's pretty dark, Julian. But that's yeah, I, I think this is the best card spoiled so far. I think this card is incredible, and I'm really excited about it, because I, I think, like, you could sort of fit it in some existing decks, but I think, like, potentially you just, you, you totally rebuild those decks that they so that they look different. Um, why am I excited about it? So, a couple things. Um, it is a two-mana Planeswalker, of which we've never seen one before other than Tybalt, but everybody just laps at Tybalt because it's completely unplayable. Yeah, it's the but only two good mana, one. Like, yeah, what were you going to say? I, s I said it was like, it's the only you good two-mana Planeswalker. You can actually say it's the second worst pla two-mana Planeswalker right. ever printed. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, given that there have only been two, this one's amazing and Tybalt is crap. And the reason this one is amazing is because it's two-mana. Like, think about all the cards in Legacy that, like, are just unplayable because they're three mana. Like at three mana, you need just game warping effects like True Name Nemesis or like Narset Part of Veils, uh, Leavold, stuff like that sees play. Yeah, 
that just like has so much value but like Renin Six is a card that has so much value, and it costs two mana. So it's just it's an incredible card. Um, as far as what I want to do with it, like a couple things. So the the most obvious thing is you want to tick up to return wastelands, and the reason this is even more powerful than Life from the Loam is because when you're playing Life from the Loam with wasteland, you spend your entire turn dredging Life from the Loam, wastelanding them, and so if you're like at parity, then that just locks the game up. But um, the issue is you, you spend your entire draw step like dredging, and you don't get to really do anything else f with your turn. Whereas with Ren and Six, you can you basically it says, oh, you just draw a wasteland every turn in the game, and so you can like, just like keep developing your hand, developing your board, uh, and you also just have the option of wastelanding them without giving up your draw step. So I think that's one thing people um, should notice about the card. The other thing is this works basically with like any spell land in particular, like the cycling lands. It just means like oh, the plus one you draw a card every turn. Um, if you play it with a cycling land, or you know, there's the new Horizon lands that you like crack and sack it. Um, and there's cards like Blast Zone, um, cards that like people kind of feel forced to wasteland. For example, like Tabernacle or Maze of Ith, that just like returning those spell lands back is is just incredibly powerful. So just from the beginning, just the plus one is already almost a playable card. Then you add the minus one, which like for two mana, you, you, you this is going in like Life from the Loam Mox Diamond decks, so you can just play it on turn one and then answer their like one drop or two drop, like whether it's like something like a Mother of Runes, Delver of Secrets, Young Pyromancer, Dark Confidant, Vampire Hexmage, like the list just goes on and on of like the cards that it kills. Um, and like again, it's just it's just two mana. Literally, if you spend two mana and kill anything with this, you're just coming out so far ahead. Um, the ultimate is a little bit trickier. Um, it, the ultimate basically is like, oh, all your lands are spells, so you don't flood anymore. Um, I have a hard time seeing this in like a deck like lands, where like the spells you're casting aren't really that good anyways. Um, but something in a different deck, like perhaps like Noble Rug, um, with like Punishing Fires and stuff, then you can like flashback your blue spells, and I could see this working pretty well with something like Dak Faden, because you just return lands and then uh, turn those lands into real cards. So there, there are so many directions I want to go with this card. Like, first of all, where it slots into neatly is like lands four color loam. Um, but, like, I think you can, like, rebuild those decks to, like, abuse this card more and play, like, two or three copies. Um, then where else can I see it in, like, more fringe decks like Punishing Rug, which I mentioned. Maybe, like, a Jun Smallpox Super Friends deck where you use Smallpox to control the board and then you play along with Liliana the Last Hope and then these two together just kill any creature, basically. But the, the reason I'm just excited is, like, it's a two-mana card. It offers new design space and new deck building. Like, it doesn't really fit neatly into any existing uh, deck. Um, and like the decks that it does fit well into, you're gonna want to rebuild yeah, it, them. It, to it use looks like a card better. that, like you mentioned, might actually spawn new decks in Legacy, which is always something super exciting because for many years usually like go back and forth like adapting decks, but like that a really new deck shows up that requires some kind of new influence into the format. And this card, it's it's a two mana planeswalker that provides card advantage at the plus ability. And that that really like that blows your blows your away like it doesn't even get bolted when you immediately plus it, plus it which you would probably do a lot of times except for like when you like Bob mentioned you want to kill some of the creatures, the the ultimate like you mentioned I think it's just gonna be like a bonus it's something that will come up every now and then but overall people will probably play it for like the plus one and the minus one effects, and like you mentioned it's so hard to figure out how it will actually really work into those decks because it might require some adjustments but i'm really really excited to see how this one will play out because it's super powerful it actually 
except for the red mana cost, it feels like something that Matt would actually play, wouldn't you, Matt? Yeah, 100%. Like, I'm interested in this card for aggro-loam-like type decks. Some sort of, like, grindy land deck. Maybe you're playing Knight of the Reliquary. Maybe you're playing Crop Rotations. But, like, I feel like in, like, a Chalice Mox Diamond land deck, like, this seems very cool. Because then, yeah, all you're doing is you're wastelanding them every turn, or you're Cabal Pitting, or you're Barbarian Ringing, or you're doing whatever and then you're like bob was saying you're just developing your board because again your biggest issue with a life from the loam deck is you are spending your early turns dirtling around with life from the loam trying to dredge and then you're dredging your good stuff into the graveyard and then you're trying to figure out how to get the good stuff back and here you kind of get around that a little bit so i am very very excited about this card Mm -hmm. The other thing I like about it is, like, Julian, you're, like, making the point about new decks in Legacy. I think we have seen some amount of new decks in Legacy, um, but the most new decks that we typically see are just, like, these, like, crazy decks that are just, like, combo decks, like, turn one combo decks, like, Deaths or Reanimator, or, like, Chalice decks, like, you know, Karn Post. Like, while those decks, like, you know, have played to them and are somewhat interesting, like, um, I don't know, it's just like, it's it's more enjoyable when, like, the new decks are, like, really f more fair magic, as opposed to, like... Yeah, that's a really good point, because, like, yeah, you mentioned, when we see new stuff, it's sometimes just, like, leveraging raw power, uh, Black Red Reanimator, Depth, or you have something that's, like, really strong in the endgame, whereas, like, stuff that, that's decent, that's, like, you look at this card, you don't feel like, oh my god, I, if I play against this, I can never beat it, it's just, like, really good, and when you see stuff like that, that's really exciting. I'm not a fan of red. I, I just have a, such a hard time, like, enjoying playing a red deck. But maybe, maybe, I mean, y you know me, right? I'm, I'm probably gonna make a video with this and else anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I don't think this really fits with anything well, we, else. You can doing. retrace natural order. You can natural order twice a turn or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the first well, turn is just not good right? enough. <laughs> Yeah, but this is a yo, it's a mythic, right? So definitely check that out. I could is this a card that would work in vintage? I'm not sure. Like sometimes these like when a spell is cheap and good, you can easily see it going into vintage, but uh, like you know, after all, allegedly we are somewhat of a vintage podcast, <laughs> so we gotta mention every once in a while. Um Yeah, I d I don't really see it doing anything in vintage right now, but I could be wrong. Probably like Narset, for example, is seeing a ton of play in vintage and it's also like a really force and, and legacy right now, right? Yeah, apparently, like, Karn and Narset have just taken over Vintage so that, like, outcome isn't even, like, <laughs> that good anymore. Like, everybody was like, oh, we need to restrict it, and then Wizards of the Coast is like, it's fine, we'll play Narset and Narset Karn, Karn. <laughs> then we're fine. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's just, like, just a, such a crazy format that, like, the printing of these two new Planeswalkers just completely Another turned on a card side. I want to quickly touch upon. Um, probably not too much to say about that, but since Bob actually mentioned that he really likes Slivers, and I think I even titled an episode Bob Likes Slivers or something of this podcast, there's Cloud Shredder Sliver, and I'm going to steal it from you, Matt. It's so cool. I love right? this card. It's a red and a white Sliver, 1-1. One, one. Sliver creatures you control have flying and haste. Dude, this, this is yeah, it's right? pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Because, yeah. like, basically, you're like, okay, I play Cloud Shredder Sliver, so I don't need Wing Sliver anymore. So, great. And then you play Crystalline Sliver still, and then you yeah, I think you, you have all the things. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... Yeah, it, the, the, the Sliver deck is just absurd. Like, in terms of, like, stats or whatever, like, 
this is basically just like Mantis Rider Sliver. All of your slivers gain <laughs> Man- Mantis Rider. Uh, <laughs> like, how is, how is that fair? Um, just like, other decks just cannot compete with slivers at all in terms of, like, power, toughness, abilities. Uh, the, the one huge hole for slivers is it doesn't have any of the disruptive creatures. Like, Humans has Meddling Mage and Freebooter. Um, Death and Taxes has, like, Thalia. Um, humans has Thalia too, but like th- that's the key for Legacy is like you don't need power and toughness as much as you need disruption. Um, so once they print like some sort of reasonable disruptive sliver at like one or two mana, then then we can start talking about this deck more seriously. But if you just want to clown <laughs> fair people, like it's slivers a, like a is great, just insane. Uh, a great deck just just to put in a couple of leaks and put them on YouTube. <laughs> I can see a lot of people doing that. I feel like we should. I, I feel was like gonna say that that's that's probably like a spot for the sliver guy. Like we have people who play like predominantly Merfolk. Or like there's there's actually several goblin players on the on the net. People watch me for elves, but we don't have a sliver. The sliver dude yet. Well, there there oh, is. Fuck, His name I'm is so sorry, Daniel Nunes, but he doesn't. But he doesn't like produce content. He's just like he just gets lots of five and slivers. That's all. And legacy. He should stream. Yeah. Like if you look at if if you look at every slivers five O they're like all <laughs> you know by him. you should actually like do people know what he looks like you know you should actually like do people know what he looks like uh, I don't know what he looks like but like I I do think the deck is very good against like any Delver deck any like uh, I don't it's possible it's less good against Death and Taxes because they have Stoneforge Mystic but like I don't know. It's just like impossible to race slivers or to beat it in a fair way. Like it's really good against miracles too because you have like crystalline sliver with hibernation sliver, and you only ever need like two or three slivers on the battlefield at once. Now, why it um, reminds me of humans, so, but like you mentioned, humans yeah, has all these these disruptive abilities, so humans probably the better deck overall. But man, I really want to try that cl- that cloud shredder sliver. The name is also amazing. Yeah, this makes it like even more impossible to race the deck. It was it was already you know an uphill battle. But just giving everything haste <laughs> and flying, it's just like okay, none of your creatures interact, and my creatures are just <laughs> are faster. So yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I am definitely interested in drafting up a list and playing this at a weekly if I could. Yeah. All right. So Matt, it is your turn to pick a card. Um, let's go with plague oh, no. engineer. Okay, I'm out. Two in the black. <laughs> no, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> Julian's like, no, don't. Well, you're not going to talk about this it's card. A fake spoiler. This card fake does not spoiler. Exist. Nobody play this card. Okay, <laughs> two two, death touch. As plague engineer enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creatures of the chosen type your opponent's control get minus one minus hey. one. So why do I like this card? So why do I like this card? Um, well, you see, I'm a big fan of engineered plague. And this is a 2-2 death creature that does everything that I wanted to do. So uh, I'm a big fan of choosing oh. creature types like elves. <laughs> How humans, original. How cruel and unusual. Goblins. Merfolk. Um, elementals. Merfolk. It's, it, it kills true nemesis. It's a good time. That's a, that's a big thing about the card. Yeah. That's the, that's the only thing I like about this card. Everything else about this card I hate. Um, I think it's going to be incredibly powerful. I'm definitely playing it. Um, I think it just replaces all the other stupid cards that Grixis Stelver w- and like all these other decks were playing before, like like Blazing Volley or, and like Marsh Casualties, because this Fire card is just Covenant. like way better than all of them. Fire yeah, definitely. yeah, we're not touching that one again either. Yeah, like 
this card is just incredible because, first of all, like the 2-2 Death Touch body is just relevant. Like, it blocks Skirmag Angler, you can attack with it. Um, second of all, it's a sweeper for, like, Empty the Warrens, True Name Nemesis, and it's a static effect. Um, the reason I hate this card, uh, well, there's two reasons I hate this card. The first reason is that it's a one-sided effect. Like, I get Wizards is trying to push the power level of these cards, yep. um, but making things one-sided just takes out away a lot of the deck-building restrictions. Like, if a card like Narset or Leovold was, like, both-sided, like, it, it just, like, makes the decks way more interesting, but makes the cards way, like, way less powerful. But just from a design perspective, I just don't want to see cards continually get pushed just for the sake of power level that don't lead to interesting deck building decisions. Like the deck building decision with Narset and Leovold and Plague Engineer are going to be, oh, you put it in your deck because it's better than everything else that has seen uh, play up to this point. Um, so I just don't find them very interesting. The second reason I hate this card is because like all of the cards in the set are just named after like their predecessor card. So like Engineered Plague, <laughs> Plague Engineer. There's like Pondering Mage. Um, there's Giver yeah, of Give Runes. Our runes is like there's such just low so many cards that are like. Name. I'm just like, can you not like think of a more original name? Um, Nature's Chant was my favorite, actually. Yeah, that's like a combination. It's like we, we won't touch on this card too much because it's like a very boring card. But it's disenchant, but it's hybrid mana, so it's nature's claim uh, naturalized slash disenchant. So it's nature's chant. <laughs> just like, come on, just <laughs> a little bit more. Yeah, it's a little cringy please. almost, right? And, and th th that's like when people they create like custom fake cards and, and uh, or fantasy cards. That's the kind of name people choose, and you're like, oh my god, nobody would ever name the card that way. But yeah, well, actually, they did. <laughs> But yeah, Ren and Six, uh, going yeah. back to that, that's a badass name because apparently it's like two guys and he's using this tree who's also animated as an exoskeleton and they're like Ren and Six. Oh my god, I love it so much. The art is amazing too. Like, I thought it was going to be like a Golgari card or something because it definitely looks kind of evil, but I guess I also see the fire. Um, but it's basically like a guy melded into his tree folk friend. So his name is Ren, and then his tree folk friend is. That's is actually six. a movie. That, that could be like um, a movie franchise. Like I think if they push those two guys really hard, like they're gonna yeah. take over. They're gonna be the face of magic now. <laughs> so you. another card that uh, when it was spoiled led to like a really big explosion in uh, in our legacy friends chat <laughs> is Archmage's Charm. Matt, go ahead. Okay, so Archmage's Charm. Blue, blue, blue. Instant. Choose one. Counter target spell. Target player draws two cards. Or gain control of target non-land permanent with converted mana cost so one or less. Obviously, a lot of the blue players, they love this card. Because it's an instant, it's a like divination that you can cast for two mana at your opponent's end of turn, or use it to counter a spell, because it's unlike other counter spells in the set, it counters any spell. It doesn't like, isn't restricted to non-creature spells. And every once in a while, you will even be able to steal, I think, the biggest thing that you can see with it is Smart at Large, which is like, that would be the ultimate thing to do. Um, well, <laughs> I saw somebody mention that you can like steal a chalice on one, then try to forget the trigger every time. <laughs> <laughs> you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. AKA cheating? <laughs> I think it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, at least, I hope. <laughs> but the card, like to me, it's, yeah. it strikes me like as a card that might actually see play in blue-white control in modern, but for legacy, like people underestimate, like, triple blue, if you want to get that, like, on turn three or something, then you will probably be wasteland pretty hard, because you're probably not going to have, like, three islands on the third turn, unless you're playing literally mono-blue. So, maybe it's going to see play, like, in a Marcus deck. <laughs> so, something like yep. High Tide. Yep, some, like, yeah. High Tide or whatever. But, I think yeah. people really like it but but even that i don't i don't see it because like 
High Tide just is a combo deck, so you just you don't really care about interacting. This is a very interactive card. Um, if if the mana costs were less restrictive, then if it was like one blue blue, for example, I think you could play it in Miracles. I don't think it would be amazing, but I think it it would be very playable because like every line is is almost live. Um, the problem is is just like it's three mana, so it's not going to be that good against Delver, and then it's three mana, so it's not going to be that good against Combo. So. Like, I just, it's not quite there in Legacy. Like, if it were easier to cast, I think you can slot it in because it's, it's always going to do something. It's always going to draw two cards. Um, but I just think we're, we're just so far past the days where, like, you can just cast, like, you know, expensive counter spells or just, like, incremental card advantage. Like, when Miracles plays card advantage now, it's AK. It just goes so much harder than this card. So I, I don't think it will see much Legacy play at all. People are going to try it and then realize it's like, oh, I could play one, yeah, but it's pe probably People mentioned, okay, it. well, if it's not good enough for the main deck, maybe we can play it in the sideboard. But I think in the sideboard, you want even more, like, impact for cards. Yeah, something that, cards, that yeah. really does something. And people are like, no, I can actually, like, bring it in the blue mirror. But yeah, you probably still want, like, just Pyroblast or something there, so, or Flusterstorm or whatever. So the card looks, like, promising. And probably people will sometimes use it and, and put a highlight on Reddit that will get, like, 2,000 upwards or something, how they steal Mirror at Large. And if you're the first one to do that, then you should definitely go ahead and try or even set it up with a friend. But overall, I think there's there's a more interesting counterspell in the set right now, which, going back to the naming conventions they have used... Uh, is named Force of Negation. <laughs> it's Force okay. Of Matt, go ahead. <laughs> Fucking garbage name. Like, honestly, I'm sorry. Guess what? Uh, it's Negate. Okay. <laughs> Force of Negation. Ugh. One blue blue. Instant. If it's not your turn, you may exile a blue card from your hand rather than pay this spell's mana cost. Counter target non-creature spell. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. And the flavor text is try <laughs> if Matt, you how must. do you feel about the card? That's how I feel. I, <laughs> I don't know why this card exists. I think it's really good in modern, or I don't know. I, I was having like a discussion with people whether this will be better in modern or legacy. I think in modern this fits really, really well into blue white control. You just like slam Jace turn four, bounce your thing, hold up force of negation. Like it's it's very, very powerful in modern. I think in like planeswalker decks. Um, in legacy, I just I like so this could be like force of will like five and six in the sideboard against like combo decks. Um, but like that's kind of where I yeah. see it. I mean, it's pretty clear. I think that they. I mean, the set is named Modern Horizons, right? But this is a card they printed for Modern to probably keep a lot of those super high speed early game combo decks somewhat in check. And I really hope that it's gonna help with that. They also printed Flusterstorm in the set, which is gonna make its debut in in Modern now. So maybe Modern will be like less crazy that. I haven't really played a lot of modern recently, but that, that's the stigma about modern, right? There's so many all-in combo decks, and they want they want like all the, the crazy stuff to be banned. But then there's also Tron, which I guess this card is also decent against. So I don't mind the card. I think it will actually see some play in Legacy. Like the clause that you can only like pitch counter on on your opponent's turn is somewhat relevant because like when you when you use too many pitch counters, it gets to a point where you want to use it to protect something that's really impactful so that you can actually like make up for the, ca the card disadvantage you suffered so you want to you wanna use it to like protect your chase which you can't really unless you're paying the full mana cost so the only thing that you can really do is to to counter their the opponent's chase in which case we're going back to wouldn't you want like pyroblast or even flusterstorm in a counter war so <sighs> 
people will probably try it and it won't really be great, but I don't know. If, if Legacy gets to a point where, where we have even more stuff like Black Red Reanimator, then we might see some of that cut. But even then, like, they still have discard, so it's, it's, it's this weird spot where we don't really have a lot of stuff that's really good against super committed early game combo stuff. But this could be something that helps, but... I mean, it, it's nice that it's 3 mana. It's not completely uncastable. You will eventually just, like, trade it for something that you can, but it won't feel great, and that's usually not... If, if the card never really feels great, and you're really literally looking to just trade it for a brainstorm or something to eventually get rid of it, of it then it's, it's probably not something you want to do, but I'm excited to see what it does for Monon. I mean, I'm more interested in the design space that they've they started with, and I saw this revealed, right? I was like... Force of Negation. Interesting. I wonder if they're going to complete the cycle. And of course, we do see reveals. So, I want to talk about oh. Force of Despair. So, Force of Despair is one black black instant. If it's not your turn, pitch. Destroy all creatures that entered the battlefield this turn. And I think that's a really interesting a really interesting space to take it. Because I expected that if they were in my head they were going to print this in black. My thought process was that either they were going to, it was going to be like a minus, minus for everything, or it was going to be a destroy target creature. But destroying all creatures that enter the battlefield this turn is very specific. What do you guys think about that? Honestly, Julian? I would like the card more if it was just like destroy target creature or something like that. I think that would, uh, probably wouldn't be playable, but maybe it was like destroy two target creatures. That would be probably playable. Um... I think it's too narrow. Like you can use it against something like that's literally one deck in Legacy. Uh, like, that you, you could use it against something like Dredge or Show and Tell, but like obviously that's just like horrible. Um, something like Dredge will just rebuild again, and then Show and Tell is just going to beat you with the seven cards it draws or I whatever. Mean, so I just there's one don't deck think this card is good for Legacy. in one specific scenario, but this is really good. Like this is like exactly glimpse yes when I saw this card, I was like oh my god they're gonna make like my entire glimpse turn for nothing sometimes you can like if you get a glimpse turn you know your opponent is sitting on mess removal you put stuff into play that's like really hard to remove like progenitors or something or big creatures but this like they it kills everything and it's I hope it's not gonna see a lot of play I'm not too high on the artwork I'm not actually sure what's going on in that <laughs> but I really hope that this card isn't gonna see a lot of play because against elves it really is like quite good you you could of course argue that that there's a lot of other mess removal effects that you can play against elves um, a lot of times maybe if they actually pitch something it won't be that it won't hurt you too much but what people don't realize is after a glimpse you're sometimes left with something like five cards in hand and then like one or two spells uh, so if they use that against Fs, but like I mentioned, it, it's only really good against the actual glimpse turn. Against the other stuff, like if they trade two for three, whatever, that doesn't matter too much to me. So I'm on Bob's side on, on the argument here. I think it's not going to see almost any play, but if it does, it can really screw you. I, I guess it also it gets it kind of counters empty the warrants, but. You don't really want to have a sideboard anti-combo spell that even only deals with like half of the storm decks out there, because against A&T it's not going to do much. I feel like you could just you could just play a card like Zealous Persecution or Golgari Charm or like one of those other spells that does like a lot of other heavy lifting in other matchups, and then this is like oddly. Yeah. I mean, the upside is that it's only one uh, one color, but 
black is kind of like a supplemental color. It's like something you play on top. I actually, um, well, that's probably a story for another podcast, but I have this theory about how there's like core colors in Legacy and how there's supplemental colors. And like black and red, they usually like, they're splash colors. Whereas like green, white, and, and blue, they're like core colors. But that's something else. <laughs> um, there's another force, and a lot of people have asked me about that. It's called Force of Vigor. Matt, go ahead. Take us away. Force of Vigor, so it's an instant two green green, so it costs more than the other ones. But anyway, destroy up to, so again, pitch if it's not on your turn, destroy up to two target artifacts and or enchantments. Mm. Obviously, like, from the Earth's perspective, that's another way to get rid of Chalice of the Void or even stuff like, for example, Omniscience, which, but overall, the card, I'm not too high on the card. The problem is, ever since Abrupt Decay and Assassin's Trophy were printed, these kind of effects have to compete against those cards. And those cards are just like so much better because they can also hit creatures, and that's a big thing for us. So I don't really see Force of Figure really be seeing plays. Is that something you? Like, I'm not even sure what's even going on in the artwork, but <laughs> I mean we're not an art pod- podcast after all. But yeah, I, I don't really see which um, or are in the we? Which kind of deck would really want this card? So Bob, do you see any application for it? Uh, maybe for Blood Moon. Mm, that's like that's one. the big one. That's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I, see, I can see, like, you're locked out, and you're like, okay, I got my pitch spell, kill moon, end of turn, untap, okay, we're back on board, boys. But, I mean, this card, yeah, I mean, if it was a spell that was, like, destroy all artifacts or enchantments, I'd be like, well, I mean, it's a card, card against Moonstompy, I guess, if you're, especially if you're playing Fs. You get rid of, like, the mocks and the Blood Moon or something, or the Bridge and the Blood Moon or whatever, but overall, it's probably too narrow and, not, like, not not really great. It, it, that's the problem, like... Yeah, it's really good against Moonstompy. Um, yeah, so you don't you don't like it as, like, an answer no, for Blood no. Moon? <laughs> I, I like Reclamation Sage as an answer to Blood Moon. I mean, obviously, it's it's a good answer yeah, to Blood Moon, and I would definitely bring it in and feel good about that, but... Uh, there's really not too many decks I, I really would want to bring it in. Like the the, the Cloudpost decks the as Cloud well. Cloudpost decks. Cloudpost decks? What does it do? I mean, for those decks, yeah, yeah. But they, they need, like, green stuff to pitch to it, right? They, they need, like, green stuff to pitch to it, right? Hmm. Right. <laughs> like, I think the card's fine. I don't yeah, I think, think it's it, great. There's no deck that really wants the kind of card right now in Legacy. A card that a friend of mine has been really high on, Marius Hausmann, uh, is Goblin Engineer. Uh, that's something we should talk about maybe a little bit. Uh, Matt, how do you feel about the card? Yeah, so let's read it out. So Goblin Engineer is one and a red for a 1-2. And when Goblin Engineer enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an artifact card, put it into your graveyard, and then shuffle your library. Then has the activated ability of red and tap, sacrifice an artifact, return target artifact with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So kind of similar to like a trash for treasure sort of. Yeah, uh, I, I just kind of like how red always gets like these trashy versions of established cards, like how trash for treasure is like the, the, the crap version of Tinker. And then we have like Goblin Engineer, which is like the red version of Stormforge Mystic. It, like, Red just has a certain charm to it, and even though like I don't write, like red as a color at all. It, it, I, it, I really have to mention like it's so funny how they 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 get like pe- other get, decks get like brainstorm and they get like faithless looting, which actually turned out to be quite the upside for the decks that wanted the kind of effect. But <laughs> when I read the card, I was like, I bet he's gonna put it into the graveyard and not into the, yeah yeah exactly goes into the graveyard. Perfect. <laughs> um, you can play it with Goblin Welder. I would guess you can even like use it as your own Goblin Welder. In a way, 
it might see play in maybe painter versions. I don't know. I think it's a card that we will see. Yeah, because I mean that would be cool where you where you dump like your grindstone or your painter or a sundering titan, and then you're like, oh, I have an active <laughs> goblin welder. See so ya. Yeah. The, the, the only question is, do they really want more of those effects? Because they also have recruiter, I guess, which which can get the, like, no recruiter can't get the painter, right? It goes after toughness. So maybe that's something. Hmm. Mob Bob probably doesn't like the card at all. We haven't heard anything from him. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I just like. I would need to see that duck first, and like, I mean, entombing for an artifact is really powerful. But like, what else are you really doing? Like, upper sword's like not really good enough for legacy anymore. So I'm yeah. not sure. So let's leave it at that. Maybe some somebody's gonna break the card, but for now it's just like, yeah, red stone fudge. <laughs> I'm gonna call it that. Yeah, let's talk about the. Uh, I'm calling them Horizon Lands because it's modern Horizon, and they were like all modeled after Horizon Canopy. Like, what do you guys think Loving of those them. cards? They're, they're enemy color. Um, yeah, so they don't make sense to me in blue decks because blue decks are using cantrips to figure out their their lands. Um, they are enemy colored, um, so I'm not a huge fan of the blue ones. And then you really want to be playing them in an aggro deck where you're the beatdown, so your life total matters less. So, I mean, I guess you could play them in burn, but like, where else do you see playing them? Because Horizon Canopy honestly doesn't see very mm -hmm. much play right I, I now. play four of in, in the value IFs lists, and I really like it a lot there. So my immediate thought was, maybe you can actually make it work with the Golgari version of it. Um, playing it in a, in a F stack that doesn't play white and plays black for all the good stuff, like this card. I don't really like this card too much, but this card and Abrupt Decay, and not playing Mirror Entity. But it, it's super hard to, to make room because you also still want to play your fetch lands to find your bayous and stuff. But I could see it going into a deck like that. And then definitely into something like Nickfit, maybe, Matt. To, I mean, you want a certain number of basic lands, but I think you do have some spots. I don't even. I, don't, I honestly don't oh, really? even know if you want this in Nickfit because. Well, it depends. If you're a three color Nickfit deck, definitely not because you just don't have slots for lands. Like, the thing is, you need to include. You know, you're playing, on average, six basics. You want eight fetches. You want yeah. Volra Stronghold, maybe. You want Phyrexian Tower, and then you're like, okay, yeah. I need to fit and in you're dual lands. So you're a late game deck, right? So you lose a lot of life to it. So may maybe in something like, I don't know, humans, could they use that effect? They, they play a lot of, like, soul lands. Not, not soul lands, but... Maybe, maybe a dedicated two-color deck. Like, if you're like, I'm playing, you know, black-green Nickfit, or I'm playing, I don't know, Ava Green, or, you know, something where you're like... I want some more dual lands, but I also want to be doing something with them. So maybe I'll play this card as well. Like Bayou number five and six, just to, you know, have that flexibility. I don't know. You probably want to also play like a lot of reach where you can like, when, when the bot state comes to a stale, you can like draw two extra cards and then maybe burn your opponent out. But yeah, I mean, it would be great. In I mean, deck I like would definitely Sue, play this in Sue like... Sue hasn't been a deck in like seven years now, or eight years by now. But... Yeah, you just like try. I would play this in yeah, aggro. There's probably no room. That's the problem. They already play so many cute lands and stuff. One of. Yeah, but like before, you would maybe include Horizon Canopy because you wanted that ability. But maybe you were off color, right? So maybe now you'd include the Golgari land instead, just oh, because you're it's talking like about like actual better. like red green. But even then. Oh, I'm okay, talking about okay, like Jund aggro alone. Yeah. Oh, actually, we haven't seen those in quite a while. Maybe you can bring them back. We have not. 
Uh, that's what I'm trying ah. with Renin Six. So Matt, we'll you should stream. People should check that out. They should actually also like hear your epic reading voice. Uh, Thank you. I'm my best. So, are we going to move on to which uh, one do you want me to read now? Swords that have recently been spoiled. That it's actually kind of interesting. Depending on which formats you like, your reactions were like quite different to those. So maybe go ahead with the first one, Matt. Yes. Okay. So I was pretty excited to see the first one, and even more surprised to see the second one. So I'll tell you about the first one. So, Sword of Truth and Justice. I've been waiting for this for we all have. I don't know, fifteen years. Uh, Three mana, artifact, so it's an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and it's pro-white and pro-blue. So whenever a crypt creature deals damage to a player, put a 1-1 counter on a creature you control, and then proliferate. And it has the equip two cost. So I think this card is very good, and the reason why is because in many decks that were playing Stoneforge Mystic, you played a pro-white sword sometimes because you want it to be pro swords of plowshares however it sucked when you got your cards bounced by jace so you played fire and ice and maybe light and shadow sometimes maybe or war and peace and this is nice because you get to have both of those colors covered against decks like miracles blue eye control etc so i for one am quite happy with this card however the ability seems a little bit lackluster compared to basically like fire and ice any of the other cards etc yeah, I'm with you. The abilities are some of the weaker ones, but the two production colors are, are by far the best. Um, because, like, most of the time, the sword is already pumping, so then, like, that means that you're protected from Lightning Bolt a lot of the time. And then, like, uh, what's the other removal spell, I guess? Fatal Push? But, like, Plow is just so much more ubiquitous than Fatal Push. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I, I definitely think that this will be, like... It, this should see play. Um, the abilities are weaker, but it's still just a really fast clock. And if you play something like, um, uh, for example, like if you play your own Planeswalkers, or if you play this in Steel Stompy with counters, like it can be very powerful. And like if you just start with a one-one, it, this makes it like a five-five and then a seven-seven. So I think it's it's potentially you know more playable than it looks. And like reasonably, what abilities were they gonna put on this thing? Because like, what are you gonna do? Like it's a white and a blue card, so like. Previous white swords have been about gaining life, so you're going to do that again? Or are you then going to draw cards? Like, I mean, obviously if this card was like, gain three life and draw a card, this this card would be <laughs> ridiculous. Right? right. So, yeah, I mean, they're I not putting draw a card on a sword anymore. We're, we're past that. Yeah. yeah. I, I was really looking forward to the sword, because like you mentioned, it's probably, those are the most relevant protection colors in the legacy, at least right now. The effects... Uh, I mean, I get that they... That's such a general theme. They don't want to put two crazy effects on these anymore. But um, I guess you can actually turn off a Chedis kind of with it. You can proliferate your opponent's stuff, right? That's what they did with Throne of Geth or something. Yeah, and, and I guess the cute thing is where you also proliferate your Planeswalker that way. But you, like at the point where you have like a Planeswalker online and you're connecting with a sword, that's already like a very small subset of games where this is actually going to happen. Um, Honestly, I'm somewhat disappointed by the effect I was re- like, I read the protection colors and I was like, yes, this is what we need against Mercus. Yes. And then you read what it does and you're like, oh, can't you do something else, maybe? <laughs> but, I mean, we see, like, I really like Bob's something point about Steel yeah. Stompy because I actually played Steel Stompy in our local local Legacy Open um, and Rising today. And you have so many counters and you can actually do such crazy stuff with that. So maybe it's uh, we're gonna have to uh, ask a couple of zombie players to see how it develops but i could definitely see this doing something for them the other sort how do you feel about that one matt 
I'm actually very excited about this as well, because this is a much really? more brute force kind of sword. Uh, sword of Sinew and Steel, three mana, plus two, plus two, black and red. So the protection colors, yeah, you know, not quite as good. Uh, when a crypt creature deals combat damage to a player, destroy up to one target planeswalker and an artifact. Is I think that's pretty People cool. on Twitter have been like, you actually, you're not on Twitter, right? People on Twitter have been like, this is the worst sword ever printed. <laughs> mm, really? Body and mind? Uh, Body and mind's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's be real. Like, War and Peace, eh. Like, okay, in Legacy, the protection colors are, we'll say, I'll, I'll shrug my shoulders and say pretty decent. Obviously, it's not white-blue level, but this is pretty good. You're, you're, you're covering a lot of bases here. Gurmag Angler, Pyromancer, Tokens, uh, your new guy that you're using, the Death, whatever, Flashback Dude. I can't remember his name now. Oh, Arcanist, Arcanist, you, yeah. The Cloud Shredder Slivers that you're going to face, right? <laughs> you know, the protection colors are fine, mm. right? They're not too bad. Uh, you can swing past a merit lage. You get protected from bolt and fatal push, and like this is obviously very good if you can somehow get this online against a black so red deck. So which planeswalker are, are, are um, you going to destroy against those decks? I guess Liliana. Well, that's I, yeah, destroying a Liliana is important. I mean, you're already probably swinging past because you've got pro black. I mean, in an ideal world, I'd love to be playing this against miracles. They have nothing, and then yeah, I block the jace. Yeah, but they're going to block you. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm just I'm just saying. Um, I agree that the abilities are pretty cool, in theory. How often are you actually just like nuking planeswalkers and yeah. destroying and your? The chase might have probably already not. like minus ones on the creature, which obviously is not where miracles wants to be. But I don't really see this doing a lot, and the protection colors are also kind of eh compared to the effects. <laughs> like, what yeah, do I do? I want. I guess this question is: Do I want this sword over War and Peace, Light and Shadow? Mm. Fire, fire and ice, ice you definitely like, want this, this. This doesn't take the place of fire and ice. Yeah. So, like, I think it's, like, you're probably... You're two, if you're playing two swords nowadays, like, say you're running the... the package, yeah. I'm running two swords. Yeah, like the like two swords in a batter skull or two swords in a GTA or whatever you end up doing. You're prob If you're running two swords, I would be running I fire and ice. it's kind of funny. It goes back to what Done. we had earlier. This, this kind of sword is probably, like, decent against Moonstompy. <laughs> but then that's it. <laughs> Or if right. the abilities were different, maybe this card becomes much better. Because maybe if it, like, bolted and discarded a card, like it was, like, Thoughtseize Lightning Bolt, like, okay, then <laughs> yeah, we, this we should is a great card. You're not living too far from Seattle. You should work for Wizards now. Dude, I'm still waiting of my, on my Leyland yeah. of the Choke. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Choke. That's uh, never happening. Uh, another card that's... Uh, oh, actually, Bob, did you want to add something to, to our thoughts about the sword? <laughs> Uh, no, I'm I'm with you. It's just like the abilities are not good Something enough. that I do want to mention, since like it's a Mox, uh, I guess it's Mox Tantalite, an artifact, and it, it's a Mox that adds any kind of color to your mana pool and has suspend three, uh, and you can suspend it for zero. Matt, I'm sorry, I stole this from you. The artwork is pretty cool, but I really don't see this doing anything for Legacy. Uh, I already saw Marcus like tinker around. He's like, oh my god, we can like I don't know, no, what's it, what's a card when you can play it for zero? The thing that we, we thought we had broken modern at some point where we told us not to fight for over third. The enchantment. Yeah, exactly. I saw people Astral. try Asphodel with that. Um, but I... No, I'm, I'm just not seeing it. I just wanted to mention it because it's a mox. And maybe I'm missing something, but do you guys see this card doing anything for Legacy? Nope. 
Nope. Yeah, I think we covered like most of the big hitters. There's probably some other stuff that might see play, but they look a little yeah. bit more fringe to me. Mox Handlite seems like it's in a weird place because it's like, ah, look, another Mox. We made something. It produces mana. So I have to wait three turns for yeah, one get, mana? Get, like, a free rampant growth on your first if turn. It was, like, Is this even better than such for tomorrow? Maybe like suspend two or like suspend one would be good. Suspend two. Yeah, suspend like two would actually. Yeah, suspend one yeah. would actually be even interesting. Even suspend one is like actually tried with like planeswalkers and stuff. Suspend like what's the breakpoint right? Like is it suspend two for t like how much mana do you need for how many suspends? And I think the answer is like one mana per suspend is probably fine because I think if this was like suspend three for zero, <laughs> tap add three mana, I'd be like. This seems fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just, it's probably the kind of card that you will open and regret opening it. <laughs> and you hope somebody yeah, buys it from you while it's still worth I, money. I want an Immortal Sun today. Apparently that's actually worth a little bit ever since Karn was printed. And, and speaking of, oh my god, I think we are, we are kind of done with the review of these cards here. Let me tell you a story. There's one more? Nope, there's one oh, more. Oh, there's yeah. one more. Okay, go ahead, Matt. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ayula's Influence. No I don't knows. know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Green, green, green. Enchantment. Discard a land card. Create a 2-2 green bear creature token. So this is green shifted seismic assault. Instead of doing direct damage, you create bears. I like this one, actually. I think it's good in, like, lands. And maybe, like, you play it with, like, Ren and become, like, a different lands deck. Yeah, it I could actually know. be a thing in a Ren deck. I think this is a... I think this is a cool ability, for sure. Like, it's much more powerful... Like, for a card, you would rather have a 2-2 than a shock in, in a lot of situations. It's not as good against, like, Blood Moon. That's, like, one reason you bring Assault in against uh, Moon Stompy. But uh, it's a more powerful card in a vacuum. Like, Miracles, you know, would have more problem dealing with, like, three 2-2s than three shocks. I saw some people who mentioned, hey, we should actually, actually like, buy all the Bearscapes, the, the enchantment from Odyssey, um, a colorless green-green. And then you can pay a colorless and a green and remove two cards from your graveyard. And create a 2-2 green bear creature token. Uh, yeah, all the, the bears of bears all the time. actually amazing. You see so many bears in the background, you wouldn't even realize. But yeah, that, that's not something that's going to happen. The card itself, I can see it doing something. It's just not... I mean, I guess it's a good, a better version of zombie infestation in a way, almost. <laughs> but I'd be surprised if you actually see it doing something. It's, it's not. It's definitely not like a bad card, but I, I wish it had like one more kind of effect, like a minor effect that does something that that makes me want to play it in, in like a mid range kind of deck. But it's it's really well. Keep in mind, like w with Ren and Loam, you just have way more cards in your hand potentially. So like usually, you know, if you have one mm -hmm. or the other going, that's you can make a lot of bears. Yeah, maybe this becomes part of like a land discard. So basically, red, back green, seismic assault, and like influence, and run. Maybe you're actually building the new legacy deck. <laughs> maybe, like a red, green, hate sort of. And you even have the deck, spirit guides to go with it, but you probably don't want those unless you really want to accelerate out the run, but you don't. <laughs> you you want to use Mox Diamond for that? Yeah, yeah, you want. But you could play Mox Diamond, right? Like that, that's if, synergy, if you, definitely. That could actually be a really cute deck in this. Now that I think about it. I think it's a very interesting design space, so... But probably no bear scale. We'll keep our eye on it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, guys. So, something I wanted to mention, by the way. Um, Mikus and Lattice. How much is that on Magic Online right now? Like, 50-plus tickets? It, this is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I guess nobody, like, was playing back when Darksteel was out, so, like... It's just it's so insane. It hit $30. I was like, oh, well, I'm waiting for that card, and then it just keeps going up. I'm like, wow, I guess, like... 
Nobody yeah. came out of retirement Somebody sent to, like, me a, a play donation this. deck list that I played on my stream, and Cardholder didn't have Mikas and Lentis right now, which is, like, where I borrow all my cards. They have an amazing borrower program, loan program. Definitely check it out. Like, honestly, not only because I'm sponsored, because, like, they have the best thing. Yes, they do. Matt, oh my you should God. check that out. Um, so... This card is very... Looking at 61, right I'm looking at Goldfish. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I'm like, wait, hold so, on. I think this is the card. And uh, yeah. it is $60. I, I bought the card at 16 ticks because I wanted to stream the deck. And I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I just paid 16 ticks for this when it was like just 2 ticks the other week. And now where it's like at 50 or 60 ticks, I'm like, oh my god, I'm so glad I actually bought it. <laughs> You're like, why didn't I buy more? <laughs> oh, yeah, that, but just that's how it goes. Uh, well... I still made like a pretty decent if I'm ever gonna sell it. So, so the thing is like if you if you buy a card that you think is good and you feel like you're so somewhat overpaying, think about the story and you actually maybe you actually underpaid, way underpaid. Matt, you probably have like a lot of stories that we will uncover in a different podcast about all the stuff that I have sent you from Europe that has like gotten a lot of value. Like when when I was okay, one more story. So when I visited Matt two years ago in Canada. We're going into into his house, and we go into the magic room, and there's like literal plastic bags of magic, magic cards room. all over the room, and shoe boxes full of magic cards, and it's like magic cards literally all over the room. And Matt was looking for one specific card, so we actually like we opened one of the plastic bags, and there's like stacks of cards inside the plastic bags, and like I I start like going through the cards, and I'm like okay, dual land, dual land, summer basic land, summer basic land, chains of Mephistopheles, dual land, summer basic land. Matt, what what the fuck? <laughs> And those were run, like lying around in plastic bags on the floor and for God knows how long. Have you actually gotten to like sort those or does yep. the magic room still look the same? No, so uh, I've organized everything into uh, into uh, like n like thousand row boxes basically. And now they're put into one solid cabinet. And oh, you're organized now. Cabinet oh, I guess you have to be when, once you're in the military, right? I am... <laughs> I try so are you going to go on any future deployments anytime soon? Um, it depends on whether the US will attack Iran. That's a good question. I haven't. <laughs> it, well, the, we're looking. We're 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 watching and waiting. I uh, hope but, nothing happens. Yeah, but are you gonna gonna have a little more time to spend at home right now? Yes, so for the next, I would say, looking at least four months ahead, I so should, should be basically come back to Europe. Europe. You were talking about so. that, like, Tuscany and Greek Isles trip and everything. We were, yeah. I would definitely like that. We're just kind of planning in the planning stages. Yeah, when are we going to yeah. take that time? We, right? we will figure it out. And Bob, what are you up to in the near future? And Bob, what are you up to? Um, just finishing up studying for the CFA and then going to the NV. And then once I'm done and with then, that, I'll play then more you'll Legacy be even richer than you are right now. No, no, no. I mean, that's that's the hope. But you're eventually gonna buy out your your company. Yeah, we will see. <laughs> so, in the meanwhile, um, we while we see. are all still poor, if you want to support our podcast, you can head to patreon.com everyday tunnel and you can support us on one of the many different tiers we have, like starting at one euro per episode or going up all the way to the Grizzle Band tier at ten, no, not euro, dollars uh, per episode. And for those, uh, we want to give two shout outs to Scott, Scott Munro as well as Kurosh, which is a name that doesn't have like a second name, it's just like Kurosh. So, thank you a lot 
for supporting the Legacy Premier League, I was about to say, sorry guys, this is very late today, <laughs> for supporting the Everyday Channel podcast. Thanks for all of our other Patreons. You guys really make a difference. Like, you probably don't know how much, but you are making a difference. It's really great. And... Also, otherwise to support us, like, go out, tell your friends about the Everyday Channel podcast. Go to iTunes, for example. Leave a review for us at iTunes. We, we've gotten so many awesome iTunes reviews from you. You can also use, um, for example, Stitcher, or I think we are still waiting for our first Spotify review. So if you want to give us a review on Spotify, that helps us with visibility. Um, we actually get some guys who tell us, like, oh my god, we have, ne we have never heard about your podcast, but you guys are so good. I'm um, so happy that I found you. So that's something you can do to support the podcast. Um, I mean, I need new tires probably at the end of the season. For yeah, the Matt is actually so, I mean, Matt. You're not driving a black Lotus. You're driving like a dark green Lotus, right? I am driving a British racing. Green so Lotus. close yet so far. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. So just so the yeah, viewers know, Matt needs now, to go on a couple more helicopter yeah, rides, right? Donate new tires. Okay, can you actually like shoot some yeah, footage from that, or is that like top secret? I can I yeah, can get like you some for footage, public yeah. use. Yeah, I, I actually I took I oh, took you, some you sent uh, video. one of those pictures when you went and um well I, I probably can't talk about that when when you went on a deployment and you were flying high over the over some mountains. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, yeah. secret <laughs> secret military videos. So guys, secret, where can secret. people find you on the social media universe? Bob, go ahead. Let us know. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Grizzlepuff. Uh, do you still stream on Twitch, or is that something that doesn't really come I'm up anymore? Uh, yeah, also at Grizzlepuff, but not as often. Matt, is it, can we actually get hold of you somewhere? I. Um, no. You can contact Matt's agent, which would be me, I guess, and then I will forward all the messages. I have a. I can, uh, yeah. There's a post office box that you can write a physical. It would be hilarious if somebody did that. What would be the address? Um, with you, we could post it to show notes. Okay, okay, let's do it like that. Um, <laughs> like back in the old days, please send a self-addressed sealed envelope <laughs> no, to people actually PO do that, box. Like streamers. That's a what big part of streamers' uh, well shows that they give us the, the address and then they open whatever they get live on stream. And sometimes it's like really fucked up stuff, but most of the time oh, really? it's really interesting, cool stuff that people send from like their local. Well, I wanted to say cultures, but that sounded weird. <laughs> So yeah, it's definitely something like unboxing videos of, of stuff you get from your viewers. That's definitely something. Maybe I should try that. Well, well, maybe we'll. Did yeah, I tell you we'll that Gabe, Gabe is actually that. sending send me uh, what's the stuff you eat in Canada? Maple syrup. Maple syrup. Yeah, he's actually sending me maple like syrup? a case of maple syrup. I, I'm actually gonna eat it. <laughs> what's the stuff you eat in Canada? <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I'm gonna actually going to eat it live on stream because I don't even know how I'm supposed to eat it, like with a spoon or, or, or like on bread or... You realize that you put it on things, right? <laughs> well, it depends. So, yeah. <laughs> what do you... If you guys want to get hold of me, I'm at itsjulian23 on Twitter. I'm itsjulian on Twitch. Uh, if you want to support, uh, we already got that. <laughs> if you want to, by the way, we were able to finally uncover the passwords to our Twitter account for Everyday Eternal, which is at EternalMTG. We have about 400 followers right now, which I guess makes us the biggest legacy podcast around. Hey, but you can do even better. So definitely check us out there. We're going to post all the new stuff that we're doing over there. Uh, you can also, if you support us on Patreon, get access to our Discord, where well, at least Eric and I <laughs> hang out. Exclusive yeah, very exclusive content. content. Um, it's not super 
super highly populated, but Amazing. we definitely like we mentioned the stuff that we're gonna discuss in the upcoming episodes. So you can shoot us some questions over there, and like we're really happy for any kind of feedback we get there. And with that, it's half past nine, and I think we're gonna call it a day. And I'm gonna try to get this episode out as soon as we can, and see you again on the next show. By the way, we had three weeks of delay to the last podcast, so now we're going back to about two weeks, um, just to sync up better with like other legacy podcasts, so you don't get like overload, and then you don't get nothing for a couple of weeks. And for future episodes, we're gonna. Uh, I, I guess I already teased it on, on social media. We're gonna try to get Mr. Arkan, Mr. Star Wars on a podcast. Probably like the biggest legacy streamer around these days. And if you have any... No, no, no. I'm, I'm not you. up there. There's like Arkan, there's um, Anorak. I think those are the two, two big ones. Uh, maybe I'm in like the top ten or something. I don't know. Um... So if you have any questions for Mr. Arkin, definitely shoot us a message on Twitter, um, join our Discord, or send a letter to Matt's post office box, <laughs> and we will get the message to Arkin. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for taking the guy uh, the time today, guys, and see you again on the next show. Bye-bye. <laughs>